The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode three hundred and ninety-three, coming to you on Wednesday, November twenty-fifth. It is a big combo episode. We're going to look back at USC's win over the Utah Utes and look forward to potentially USC's game against Colorado on Saturday. Maybe we're going to act like it's going to happen. We're going to preview it no matter what here on this episode as we get to the news and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni, wherever you may find podcasts, we are there. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansire.com and our phone number is 213-373-373. One USC second what's Bruin show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host here in the Red of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Elisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Elisa. It is the eve of Thanksgiving that this episode is going up. One of the worst holidays we have. That is categorically untrue. It's Thanksgiving and Halloween, the two worst American holidays. You you do not represent the uh, official opinion of Reign of Troy Radio. I the beg record. to differ. Beg to differ. It's a trash holiday, but uh, we hope you guys have a good uh, Thanksgiving tomorrow, uh, wherever you may be. Uh, we hope that you are safe, uh, especially this Thanksgiving uh, amid a global pandemic. We hope you guys are uh, healthy and safe and you and your family is all healthy and safe as well, Um, which will lead into talking about whether or not USC is healthy and safe uh, going forward in the news segment uh, as news comes out that USC has been bitten by the COVID virus, uh, COVID-19. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit, but at least it is Thanksgiving week, which means we have to do a combo episode not because of Thanksgiving, but because we had some weird, weird weirdness happen on Monday night when we went to record this episode as as usual. I think I've watched too much TV and maybe seen too many movies. A, a little bit. I'm right there with you. Because the power flickered off. Yeah. Right. We were literally right about to record. You had Audacity up. We were doing our sound checks. And then, boom, the power flickers off. And it's like, okay, we've we'd have we'd had some power surges in the studio a couple times, so uh, in the in the past couple of weeks, so it's not not a terribly big surprise. But then the internet is out, and not only is the internet out, but well, I I nearly set a record on the on the 
Dinosaur jumping game on, on Crow? You, you did, on Crow, yeah. Nearly set a record, you, missed it by two points. You you missed it by two points. It was very, very, uh, it was very bad. But, we, you know, we're sitting there waiting and seeing if the, the internet's just going to kick back up because sometimes it just needs to reboot and it just doesn't reboot. And then I'm pulling up my phone to see, well, is there a spectrum outage? And my phone won't pull up uh, internet on LTE or anything like that. Yeah, and neither will mine. We have different carriers. And, and so I'm like, well, what's your carrier? Like, this is weird. I thought we were hit by like a Scud missile or something. I'm sitting there thinking like, wait, did somebody like take out the communications uh, line? Was Is this, you know, is this some sort of like, is there a bank nearby that's being robbed or something like that? I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> clearly that's not what happened, but suffice to say... Uh, our ability to to podcast on on uh, on on our normal Monday night Fallout episode was uh, it, it it just didn't happen. It just wasn't gonna work. No, did not work. Uh, which made for the best because we woke up to some breaking news. Uh, yeah. about USC that we're gonna get to in the news segment. Uh, so maybe it was for the best for that. Um, and so here's a jam packed episode. Uh, we exp- fully expect this to go two hours. Uh, we'll see what it, I, I thought it was going to be an episode that might go two hours anyways. Now that we have to talk about Colorado in this episode, uh, because there might not be a game on Saturday, but we'll sure act like there is. That's I, exactly what we're going to do. That, yes. That works this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have to talk about that in this episode. Uh, so it's a big one. So if you are traveling uh, on Thanksgiving, which which we hope you're not, but if you are, uh, we hope you're safe. And we hope you can listen to us while you get ready to go hear a family rant and rave about all that has happened in 2020. Yeah, I, I I hope your Thanksgiving doesn't involve any ranting or raving about what's happened in 2020, to be quite honest. Well, it will include the ranting and raving of the Reign of Troy, rant line slash rave line slash, we're going to play this montage and you tell us what you think it is after USC's. 33-17 win over the Utah Utes at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. What's going on, Rain and Toy Radio? Michael and Alicia, all the rock bots out there. This is Top Trojan Fan calling from Virginia at 1.50 in the morning. Bert out here in Biloxi. Jen in San Diego. Cameron from Fresco, Texas. This is Evan from Tempe. Trinice from the west side. Uh, of course, I'm Pasadena here. Hey, Rain and Troy, this is L.A. Fred. Rain and Troy Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Actually calling in from Salt Lake City, yeah. Yes, so close to the game, but unable to attend. After watch the game with uh, Dave the Greater and, and then Dave the Cutest, and, and it, it was so fun to watch until you actually watched the game, or what ESPN video cameras allowed us to watch. I think ESPN uh, missing like two whole drives is a metaphor for something. I don't know. I mean, what can you say? It was a solid effort. Well, much like Michael, I don't know what to say about this game other than that you were just still is not exciting. You know how else you know the game is boring? We spent like 15 minutes in the flag talking about Rick Caruso's yacht. We talked about one word, one word of what we what we thought about this game, and that word is unsatisfying. Even a 33-17 win is not satisfying. Why is it not satisfying? There are so many opportunities for this game to have been put away earlier, and there weren't. I don't know if we're just burnt out from all the terrible playing that we've dealt with for the past two years or what, but, like, I would normally be jumping up and down and cheering about a blowout, and I'm just kind of not this time. Um, as I'm sitting up this late, I'm wondering, why do I keep doing this to myself? 
these games don't start till 10.30 p.m. East Coast time, and yet here we are watching them because we're fans, and that's what we do. Um, and I guess the only real answer is that I'm a fan. I enjoy this team, and I know that sounds weird because this team is not enjoyable. Um, this is not a good team. This is what I hope to be a, a Big 12 bad type of team uh, has, has not been bad at all. It's just a bad team overall. But tonight there was a little difference in the team. There was a little bit of a spark. You know what? I'm actually enjoying watching the defense play. The defense was awesome. I know Utah's offense looks like total garbage, but you know when you play an offense that's total garbage, the expectation is you shut them down to 10 defensive points. Five turnovers. We only gave up 10 points. We pitched a shutout in the second half. The linebackers were great. I mean, Figueroa, Malga, they, they showed up. Those, those boys balled out tonight. You know, I just think the offense kind of featured a lot of different guys were able to kind of spread the ball. London and McCoy showing us why I think they're going to be future stars upcoming. And um, as far as the running backs go, I mean, none of them had a lot of yards. But, I mean, Kristen averaging 11 yards a carry was awesome. Five is averaging like five yards a carry. Run the ball. Can we put aside for at least this one game our hatred for Helton and the entire era of his UFC football leadership and just focus on something positive for a chance? The last couple of rant lines, I've, you know, really ranted and not really been too positive. But, you know, I feel pretty positive about this last game. So it's not even much of a rant. Kind of like a rave a little bit right here. But I think I've got some good things to say about this team. It was 30 degrees in Utah. USC beat them by two touchdowns. At Rice Eccles, you can absolutely walk away from that game excited that they've won. Michael was wrong. Alicia was wrong. You were both wrong. USC won the game. Couldn't believe how they did it and actually did it by beating them by more than one or three points. If Keaton's not playing at his best and win by 16 points, that's a pretty big deal. A win's a win, I guess. I'm just like, okay, fine. Do it again next time, then we'll talk. I think we're a little bit too harsh on the team under Helton's reign because we're looking at what the team was last year and, and where they could have been last year. Well, this isn't last year, and we've had a lot of setbacks because of you know spring being canceled and COVID and everything like that. So I think we need to cut the team a little bit of slack. Maybe not the coaching staff so much, but definitely we need to support these players and definitely get behind the effort that they're showing. These, these boys are trying hard. They're out there busting their asses every day, every week. How can we not be rooting for them and wanting the very best for them? They're 3-0. It could be much worse. So here we are, we're 3-0. We have the entire South in our control of our own hands. Let's all just open up a big-ass beer, enjoy the taste of it, and look forward to beating Colorado next week. But you know what I am satisfied with? Watching this game with the Rotbot uh, on the Slack channel. Y'all need to get on the Slack channel because it is hilarious. I love I love all the comments from L.A. Fred, Trinice, and Top Trojan fan. You guys, you guys got me rolling through the whole game. I appreciate you all. So here's to you, Raina Troy, Raina Troy Rotbot. But besides that, fight out, beat the Buffaloes. Fight on, everybody. Thanks a lot, guys. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight out. Fight out. Okay, I don't I don't know whether to call that a rant or a rave line, Michael. I genuinely no, you, don't. You, you can't decide either? It was such a weird game. I think the Rotbots kind of hit on the weirdness of it all in, in the sense that, like, it was a, a, a multi-touchdown win in Rice-Eccles, and yet it was very USC and uh, vaguely unsatisfying. So I, I don't quite know how to... I, I'm with the Rotbots here. Like, I, it didn't feel like something worth raving about, but it definitely wasn't something worth ranting about. But like, 
somewhere in between. Are you saying it was a medium line? It was a very medium line, yes. All right. Yes. All right. Uh, well, thanks for calling in to the Rena Troy medium line, 213-373-1872 is the phone number. You can call in during, before, after, whenever, every single game, this year, next year, whenever, whenever you want, the, the line is open, 213-373-1872. The other thing you can do is head over to Apple Podcasts and review the show. You help grow the show that way, and we'll forever indebted to you and thankful for you, uh, especially this Thanksgiving week. And we are thankful for Mario in Tucson, who left us a five-star review. Alicia, what do you have to say? Yeah, Mario said, Michael and Alicia, I want to tell you both that I love what you bring to the podcast. I'm excited to hear from you now, from you both. Now for my rant. I do think it's time to move on from Clay Helton. He seems to be a nice man in person, but being a head coach at one of the Blue Bloods in college football, he is not. He seems to say the same stuff every week about how only if this and if we had done that. I, as a Trojan fan, am tired of the mediocrity he is dragging us down to. It's time to bring in a coach that demands respect from other coaches and players in the college football world. We are losing recruits because of this coach. If this change is not made, USC will stay a laughing stock. Thank you both. Fight on. Mario in Tucson. Thanks for the review. We certainly appreciate it. And I, I think Mario's still in the rant mode for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's exactly, like, I, I find it hard to argue with, with what he put in that review. So yeah, absolutely. At some point, SC's got to do the things that they say uh, that uh, that they could have done and and potentially have done. All, all those things are true. Like I, I don't think that Clay Elton's out here lying about. Well, if we would have done this, uh, this could have happened. This could have been a blowout in the Utah game or whatnot. Uh, yeah, if they would have finished off the drives, but at some point you got to finish off those drives. Uh, and just saying that uh, does not cut it, but. Alicia, there's so much to get to, including news about COVID. Dun, dun, dun. Prepare yourselves. We'll talk about it in just a second. All right, Alicia, after weeks of being clean, USC has fallen victim to the coronavirus, COVID-19, here's what we know. At least one player tested positive on Monday. They traveled to Utah with negative tests before getting on the plane. And before the game was played, this player is symptomatic, is currently in quarantine, wasn't at USC's facilities on Sunday or Monday, and there's no other positive from Monday's test uh, as of Tuesday. This is what we know as of Tuesday night. Um, Alisa, what does this all mean for USC? Um, this seems to be a concern given what we've seen in this conference with so many games being canceled and postponed. USC had been one of the few teams to have played their first three games with no hiccups. And here we go into week four, Thanksgiving week, the week that could, you know, spiral things out of control nationwide. Uh, and we, right before it, SC gets a positive test. Yeah, it's, it, the timing couldn't be worse from a football or a just uh, larger societal perspective. The The football timing is bad because USC is, is going into a really critical stretch of the season. This game against Colorado on Saturday is undefeated teams in the South who whoever wins it probably wins the Pac-12 South. 
if we can still focus on on the football of of, of everything. Um, from a larger societal perspective, Los Angeles isn't doing too hot right now. Uh, they have closed down dining uh, in 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 the in the city, uh, and they are talking about another stay-at-home order. So clearly, the city of Los Angeles is not in a in a in a position really to, I think, be um, to be relaxed as far as how they deal with USC having having a positive uh, a positive test. The the big question we have to deal with now is how many players are impacted by the positive test. Now, obviously, the concern would be if you have one player positive, they may have spread it to other players, and then they may have spread it to other players, and all of a sudden you turn into something like ASU where you have enough guys who get uh, caught up in all of this that they have to cancel three games in a row, which is the situation that ASU is currently in. The the problem, the big problem for USC is that contact tracing, if it's not limited to just, you know, a handful of players, could get really, really dicey because the guidelines for LA County say that close contacts of somebody who tests positive for for COVID nineteen should isolate for fourteen days. Well, USC is supposed to play two games within the next ten days. So that would be a certain uh a certain problem. The bigger concern that I think we should have, aside from hoping that this hasn't spread across the uh, across the team, is the, the 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 definition of what a close contact is. And so I, I looked it up on the you know uh, on the the city county health uh, website, and a close contact is defined as someone who was within six feet of an infected person for a cumulative total of fifteen minutes or more over a twenty four hour period starting from two days before the onset of illness or for asymptomatic patients two days prior to the test specimen collection until the time that the patient was isolated. So if the 48-hour period that they are having this window for contact tracing is from when the test was given on Monday, which you would imagine would be Monday morning? Yeah. Then we're talking anybody who had contact with that player on Saturday, most of Saturday, which would be quite a lot of people, you would imagine. Um, You have to also remember that this individual got on a plane with the teammates. And while USC got a big plane and tried to separate guys as much as they could, I doubt they were able to have six feet between everybody uh, at all times. And then sort of the cumulative 15 minutes. Wait, hold on. You're saying SC isn't flying in a C-130 to games? I'm, I have no idea what they're flying into games. I know that they got the biggest plane they could, and I still don't think you can separate, you know, 85 dudes uh, across uh, six feet to prevent this. So, yeah, the the, the close contact thing is going to be an issue, and, and USC has informed the county health officials of the positive test. They're going to go ahead and do their contact tracing, and it really is going to come down to how how stringent and uh, and and also how well-designed USC's sort of travel plans were. Like, um, were they keeping track of, of where players were standing on a sideline, for instance? Because I could see that being a big problem uh, as far as the 15 minutes of contact, close contact is concerned. They, as far as I know, they're introducing the contact tracing bracelets and stuff to in the Pac-12 this week, so obviously they don't have the benefit of, of those things to to determine close contacts, and so this could get out of hand really quickly. If L.A. County 
judges things the way that Berkeley did for Cal, then you can nix the idea of USC playing against Colorado or Washington State. Then again, UCLA had a positive test uh, before their game uh, this this past weekend, and they were able to still go ahead and play uh, because the contact tracing didn't take out too many people there. So uh, the big difference that I can see between where UCLA was and where USC is is that USC traveled and got on a plane and did all those things where I, I, I don't believe that that was the case for, for, U, for UCLA. So it might be slightly different, but I mean, the concern has to be extreme right now at USC. And we know they didn't practice on Tuesday. They went all virtual. So, you know, that that's uh, even if they do go ahead and play now, their preparation for Colorado has been disrupted. This is a big problem. Right. Yeah. Can you remember the last time a USC game got canceled? Uh, this summer in August. Damn it! You weren't supposed <laughs> to think of that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Yes. This, this Can is you true. remember the last time a USC game got canceled? Just a few days before it was scheduled to to happen. Uh, no. But if I pull up the media guide, I might be able to tell yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Th- this is this is not um not a good development for the Trojans. We'll see what what ultimately comes of it. Um, right now, I think you have to prepare as if you are getting ready for Colorado. Uh, that's not just the team. That's certainly us as a podcast. That's what we're going to talk about the Colorado game later in this episode. But what can you do? Th- this is what the situation is. Um, you knew when you decided to play um, that this was always going to be a thing. Um, I think we had hoped, um, in hindsight, foolishly, that the antigen tests and the rapid testing would kind of prevent the contact tracing from being so prevalent. Um, in hindsight, uh, definitely a, a, a misguided, um, you know, uh, assessment of what the testing was going to do for the Pac-12. Well, the, the Pac-12 the PAC had the same issues that every other conference. The, the, the Pac-12 was claiming that the antigen test would catch the virus before it was contagious or only when it was contagious. And that's clearly not been the way that it's worked, which is, is the biggest problem here. So yeah, the, the testing procedures have certainly not done what you wanted. I think USC has done a very good job of, of getting this far without it becoming a problem, but now they're in it and we're going to see just how, like I said, how well designed their practices have been, how well designed their, uh, travel has been and all that kind of stuff because the contact tracing will be determined by what kind of measures were put in place there uh, unless it's a, you know, they pull up the TV broadcast and see that whoever was positive is hanging hanging out with this, that, and the other person on the sideline. So, Except for those two drives. Well, yeah, I mean, those two drives are <laughs> the two lost drives. I bet that Tuli Tupelo two sack was awesome. <laughs> Never get to see it. I'm am I a terrible person? I kind of wish there was like some weird, wacky like touchdown or something. I know it would have been great. Yeah, like j- just for the mystery of it. Yeah, to never know what it looked like. Yeah, I'm sure you. I think USC had somebody on the uh, yeah. on the ground filming, so, so might have gotten some angle of it. That, that's where things stand as of uh, Tuesday night that we're recording this. Um, things can change extremely can quickly. Change. You can and... be listening to this and already know the game's canceled. Who, yeah. know, who knows? We'll, we'll see what comes of it. This is the risk 
of uh, of podcasting in general is definitely the risk of podcasting during a year ravaged by a global pandemic. Uh, I, th- I think we both um, agree that the most important thing here is safety, not only for uh, USC's players, but for everyone. If the game can't safely be played, then then so be it. Uh, that's that's what needs to happen. Uh, it's not what any of us certainly would want. I think we, we want to see college football. We're college football fans. We want to see the, the, the sport that, you know, means so much to us, right? Um, but doesn't look like um, it, it's always going to be the case this year. When you look at how everything has kind of gone, and um, you, you can argue about whether or not it was a good decision to play, uh, I think you can make a lot of cases of why it was not an okay decision to play after all. Um, but but here we are. Here, here's where things stand as of now. Um, other news uh, to talk about USC's injury report. This comes from Clay Helton's Sunday night conference call. Brett Nealon and Brandon Peely are back and good to go. They both played against Utah uh, and didn't have any setbacks. Consider them healthy going forward. And then there are a bunch of players that were going to be evaluated later this week. Both Caleb Tremblay and Palier Naoteote missed the Utah game with stingers and a concussion, uh, respectively. We'll see where they stand later this week if all things go uh, to normal. Uh, Marquis Stepp missed the Utah game but practiced on Monday with a pectoral strain. Stephen Carr took a knee to the helmet and left the Utah game early, but he practiced on Monday. Raylan Goforth had a foot sprain left the Utah game, and did not practice on Monday. Jude Wolf was limited at Utah with an ankle. Uh, and then lastly, Taylor Katoa is added to the list. He's dealing with Achilles tendonitis and still not practicing. Taylor Katoa, if you don't remember, uh, signed at USC, I believe, 2017? Uh, in 2017, with the 2017 class, uh, and then took a two-year Mormon mission. He is back, but uh, as our friends over at the Family Feud call him, Sort of the mystery man of this USC team. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate that he is because right now USC's depth at inside linebacker is very, very slim. And Raylan Goforth wasn't able to practice on Monday. Raylan Goforth is coming off his best game as a Trojan uh, in that in that Utah game. He and Kanai Mauga really uh, paired extremely well together there. And it's not clear how much longer Palaia Naoteote is going to be out if Raylan Goforth isn't able to go. Uh, they'll have to turn to Raymond Scott, but aside from Raymond Scott and Kanai Malga, they really don't have anybody else because Jordan Iasefa and Solomon Tulipupu and Elijah Winston are both out already. Uh, you got the two new injuries that you're dealing with there, and Taylor Katoa would be in line, I think, to uh, to see some playing time. Except he's obviously dealing with uh, with this with this injury that he's still working back from. So it's a little bit uh, a little bit nervy there at at linebacker. Um, We'll have to really sort of see what, what goes on with, with Goforth and, and Naoteote as the week goes on. And then, you know, the, it will, you know, it's just sort of hold your breath and hope that uh, people are available there. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. We'll also see what happens with the rankings and what happens if USC does not play this week. Uh, would that help them or hurt them in the rankings? I don't know. Uh, SC has been a struggle bus in the rankings thus far. Started the season 20th. They are now up to 19th in the AP. Uh, they sit at 18th in the coaches. S&P Plus also has the Trojans at 19th overall. 14th on offense, 36th on defense, 49th in special teams. Sagarin has SC 
28th overall, but 40th in the predictor. Mm. And if you, you wonder why the predictor matters, the predictor is what Sagarin used to send to the BCS. Mm-hmm. So that that's his if the se- that, that's his prediction of how the season will end. Kind of yeah. Thing. Not good for USC there. Uh, the, the CFP rankings were released on Tuesday as well. The Trojans ranked 18th. Uh, again, not good for the Trojans and their hopes to uh, to get into the uh, playoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Pac-12 in general is, is not looking too hot because Oregon is 15th and USC is ranked behind two lost Texas and two and one Wisconsin. And that does not bode well for building a resume. I mean, USC has a problem because now... Their their last three games are going to be in a, against unranked teams: Colorado, Washington State, UCLA. Uh, unlikely to be ranked anytime soon. And if they get to the Pac-12 title game against Oregon, both Oregon and USC have the same problem: is that neither of them are ranked highly enough for it to be a really valuable win for them. So the chances of the Pac-12 getting into the the playoff are are not too hot, uh, short of some crazy stuff happening. Which obviously it's the COVID season; crazy stuff can happen, but it's not like USC can complain all that much either because they haven't looked that impressive in their first three games. And Oregon is the same way. They they, they have not looked super impressive in their four, first three games. And so the Pac-12 is kind of in a self-fulfilling prophecy right now. Yeah, there, there hasn't been enough carnage. Uh, a lot of carnage in the, the Big 12. Um, but Iowa State's still undefeated. Um, Notre Dame and Clemson holding serve for the most part has not helped. Um, at all, the ACC kind of needed to eat itself, uh, and that hasn't happened. Uh, the SEC has needed to eat itself more than it has, and, mm-hmm. and that has yet to happen. So, yeah, we always knew it was going to be an uphill battle. It was going to take, no matter what happened for the Pac-12, um, some assistance given the shortened games. But the Pac-12 losing games on top of everyone else losing games certainly does not help. Well, it, I mean, consider this. USC, the teams that they have played, they have played three games. Their opponents are 0-1 on the season outside of that USC game, which is double whammy because Arizona got walloped by Washington, so that didn't look great for USC. And then ASU hasn't played a game yet, so we don't even know if ASU would have turned out to be a decent team because they're now three weeks down the line and they're not going to play a game again this weekend. So Yeah, and... Washington State has missed uh, one game and is going to miss a second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colorado has already missed one game, potentially a second one this week too. So, don't like the, there's you know there's proven n- teams on the schedule moving forward. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of the Colorado game, if it goes down, twelve thirty kickoff is the time over on ABC. The two and Buffaloes, the only other undefeated team in the Pac-12 South. Uh, Alicia, let's get to the the crux of this episode. I wanted to talk about the mid season, uh, like a mid season assessment of this team, which sounds insane, right? This <laughs> is literally mid season, though. It's Thanksgiving <laughs> week. SC has played three games, but it is the mid season point of USC's six game regular season. Uh, so we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Trojans' mid season and how it compares to Bill Connolly's five factors. All right, Alicia, Bill Connolly and his numbers are something we've always talked about on the show. We're always a big fan of the advanced metrics and what they mean for college football. Uh, Bill Connolly has moved from SB Nation to ESPN, 
And in a lot of ways, I think it has sucked for the consumer. When he was at SB Nation, uh, at one point there were um, statistical uh, profile pages over on footballsundayhall.com. We could go there uh, during the 2016, 2017, 2015 seasons and really dive into every team that that uh, USC had, their opponents, everything. Uh, that has sort of changed as we've gone on and has uh, Bill Connolly has moved on to ESPN but the crux of the matter is still there. The the data is for SP Plus is still posted. The SP Plus rankings are still posted. But what the data means, of course, still matters. Uh, and this is from a, an article in 2014 that Bill Connolly wrote on footballstudyhall.com. I've come to realize that the sport comes down to five basic things, four of which you can control. You make more big plays than the, your opponents. You stay on schedule, you tilt the field, you finish drives, you, and you fall on the ball. Explosiveness, efficiency, field position, finishing drives, and turnovers are the five factors to winning games. If you win the explosiveness battle, you win 86% of the time. If you win the efficiency battle, you win 83% of the time. If you win the drive finishing battle, you win 75% of the time. If you win the field position battle, you win 72% of the time. If you win the turnover battle, you win 73% of the time. And as Bill Connolly says, this data is from 2013, but it's all very similar from year to year. So keep that in mind. We're going to use this as a guideline for talking about this team and go over the five factors and see where USC really is in terms of explosiveness, efficiency, drive finishing, field position, and the turnover battle. Um, and at least I wanted to have this conversation mostly focused on the offense because I think it is a little more fair to compare. This is only three games. It's the midseason point, but it's three games, which is a very small sample size. I think it's a little more fair to compare USC's offense through three games to last year and, and so on and to what these five factors are than it would be comparing anything else uh, in terms of the defense, because this is a, a new scheme. Uh, they might have players that were here last year that, that we saw in Clancy Pendergast defense, but it's a new scheme. So we're going to talk about the offense for the most part here. You with me? Yeah, especially because the offense is is the bigger concern, right? You know, we, we, we expected there to be growing pains on defense this year, and they do seem to be getting better from week to week. The offense is the one that I think is dictating why the perception of this team right now is kind of medium. Yeah, and I wanted to use this this conversation as a means of asking a very basic question. Um, Clay Allen says that this is an offense that's capable of scoring 50 points, but they're not scoring points at the rate at which they're gaining yards. Why? What changed from last year? Why are they not scoring the 50 points that they say they should be? I mean, finding that answer is is the big problem, right? Because you can link it to so many different issues that USC had. I, has I would point specifically to the offensive line hasn't been good enough. Uh, you could talk about Keaton Slovis's arm and the, and the struggles that he's had. You can talk about the run game. You can talk about the turnovers and and all of those kinds of things. There, there's a lot of things that are going into that. I think. Uh, Boiling it down to one thing is, uh, I find it to be very difficult. 
Yeah, and, and so I want to walk through this um, and start with finishing drives. Uh, this is the one where I think that going into it, I would say that this is the number one reason why SC is not getting to 50 points is because they're not finishing off drives, right? Uh, and so I took some raw data. I looked at all 24 of USC's scoring opportunities inside the 30-yard line. Uh, why inside the 30? Because USC has had 24 drives that have gone inside the 40, and all 24 have gone inside the 30. <laughs> they have not a- finished a drive at the 35. Everything is either not hit the 40 or it's hit the 30. Uh, and inside the 40 is where these Bill Connolly numbers are really based on. He calls anything inside the 40 a scoring opportunity. Um, and really, it all makes sense. So USC's had 24 drives inside the opponent's 40-yard line. These are scoring opportunities. Uh, if, if you go simple math, 24 times 7 is 168. That's 168 possible points USC could get on those drives. We're just talking seven points for touchdowns. Very simple math, right? And yet SC is averaging 3.96 points per drive. They've scored 95 points of those possible 168, which means they've squandered 73. They've squandered 43.4% of the points they could have scored. They're 3.96 points per drive inside of a scoring opportunity is down a full point per drive from last year when they're at 4.98. 3.96. Alicia, seven times they've gotten inside the 40 and gone scoreless. That's inside the 40. They've done it five times inside the 20 and four times inside the 10. They've squandered 38 points after getting inside the 10. They've gotten inside the 10 on 18 different drives and they've only scored 4.78 points per drive. Again, for comparison's sake, that is fewer points per drive than SC was scoring inside the 40 last year. So SC is less productive inside the 10 than they were inside the 40 last year, squandering 38 points compared to zero points squandered on defense. USC's opponents, a perfect 100% scoring rate inside the 10. Oof, that's uh those are those are damning numbers and those explain a lot of why USC isn't able to pull away in games because they are incredibly wasteful. And the you know we've seen what USC what happens to USC when they get into those tighter areas. I think it matters more that the offensive line has their struggles. Um it matters more that Keaton Slovis isn't quite as sharp as he was last year. It, it, it all of the little mistakes, you know. I think a couple of of USC's fumbles were inside the forty or inside the the, the red zone uh, against uh, against ASU, and uh, Keaton Slovis's interception, I think, uh, against Utah was also one of those situations. So those mistakes that USC is making, every every mistake that USC makes, it's amplified when they get down into that area. Yeah. Every weakness on this team is amplified when they get down to that area. Yeah, and these margins matter. That one point, you know, from 3.96 this year inside the 40 to 4.98 last year is a huge difference. And that matters. That matters uh, in terms of what you're able to ultimately put in the win column at the end of the year. Uh, looking at Bill Connolly's numbers from 2013, 
teams that average 4.5 to 5 points per drive inside the 40 were winning games at a 62.6% clip. Teams that are at 3.5 to 4 points, 50.4. That's a huge That's a huge swing. That is on on winning percentage. Significant. Yeah. And and also in the the average scoring margin there too. The average scoring margin for 4.5 to 5 is 7.4. That's So you're winning by a touchdown, right? Yeah. You, you look at the way SC finished off drives last year, correlated in 2013's numbers at least, to a, to a touchdown margin. Uh, and this year, uh, when you look at USC's rate, how that correlates to what, the, what was the case in 2013, is negative 3.9 uh, as a scoring margin. It's a 10-point swing. Uh, and SC has struggled this three straight weeks. And you see that with all the times that they've, you know, completely wasted drives because field goals are fail- failures. Um, and it's not just field goals that SC's settling for. They're, they're throwing interceptions inside the, inside the, uh, the, the scoring opportunity failed, range. They're, failed fourth down, fourth down conversions. Yeah. Failed fourth down conversions, fumbles at the goal line. And the, the crazy thing is SC is so close, right? They're, they're so close. To just being able to be at the area that they were last year, but they're not. And I think this is important to mention because we're going to talk about how there's there are legitimate deficiencies about this offense, and yet they're so close to matching last year's production. And if you include those deficiencies, plus last year's production being so close, it shows you the ability they have to be better than last year. And SC's not taking that step forward. They've taken a step back. And I think that's the that's the problem area. You at least, if you, if you want to be struggling, then struggle, have your struggles mirror what you did last year, right? With the, with this offense, but they're not, right? So you look at SC's numbers. If a Vimal Pais fumbled touchdown against ASU counted in the first quarter, remember that? Uh, if you took both third quarter Arizona miscues, uh, and and made them field goals instead of a missed field goal and a failed fourth down run by Marquis Step. We're not going crazy. We're just going to say that those are field goals instead of touchdowns. Uh, and make Malapai's penalty negated TD at Utah, which was followed by an interception on the very next play. If all that counted, SC's scoring average inside the 40 would be 4.79 per drive. That is nearly a point better. Yeah. And that's not even elite level. That's no. just that's just where you're at if you're if you're good, right? So USC is that close to being good. And we can have a conversation about why USC has to be that close to being good as opposed to those margins being the difference between being great and being good. Yeah, and you know, you talk about SC having so many opportunities, so much of it comes down to field position and turnovers, two other big factors of the five factors. And we're going to talk about these really quick, not because they're positives for SC, but because I think they lead to greater stress that gets put in the other areas. Uh, Because the field position, SC is dominated every single week. Uh, SC uh, against ASU, they started at their own 32. Against Arizona, their own 35. Against Utah, their own 38. They've gotten three yards better every single week. With a net of plus 5, plus 14, and plus 11. Every single week, USC has been in position on the field to win based on their field position. 
Uh, and if you look at the winning percentage of those games of what happened in 2013 with Bill Connolly's numbers, that pans out big time. Uh, the the 14 uh, net yards that SC started better than the Wildcats last week in Tucson, that would translate to an 86.7% win percentage in a, in a silo. Yeah. Well, uh, you're, so you're, you're starting from a good place. It's not like... But you're not finishing off the drives that benefit from the from that field well, well doesn't that doesn't that just say that like usc is is getting points handed to them on a silver platter almost absolutely you it, saw it in the utah it's, game it's it's not like they're it's not like they're failing to score because every time they get the ball they're they're in the shadow of their own end zone that's just not what's happening no, they're they're no. being given advantages that they're that they're not capping off and that's unacceptable when it comes down to it yeah, against Arizona, they had a turnover margin of plus one. Against Utah, it was plus three. Again, that should lead to more points, should mm-hmm. lead to more finished drives. Uh, yeah, it was minus one against ASU, but the last two weeks, plus four total. Well, it's a, it's it's five turnovers against Utah, and they scored ten points off of turnovers? Yeah. Un- five turnovers, right? and they scored ten points off of turnovers. Arizona, sorry, Utah had had two turnovers and had seven points off of those turnovers. Yeah, that's like the, that's the game. That's the difference. I mean, that's right. that, that's the difference between USC winning this game by you know twenty some odd points and the, the the margin that they won it. It, the, yeah. it should it should have been a blowout. Yeah, and so the way I look at it, you see the results of these things, and and of the five factors, I think that. Some of these are cause and effect uh, and how they affect USC's offense and how we can evaluate USC's offense. The the turnovers and the field positions are causes for the are causes to having so many opportunities inside the 40, inside uh the, the scoring range, having opportunities to score, right? Scoring opportunities. But why are they not finishing off those drives? It comes down to two things. Uh, the final two factors. First one being explosiveness. Last year, SC outgained their opponents on a yards per play basis by a sizable margin. Overall, in 2019, plus 0.82 yards per play better. SC averaged 6.52, the opponents 5.8. Through three games, it's 0.15. 0.15. That's, that's not going to make it. That, that's not a better margin of what you're getting out of your offense and your defense on a per-play basis. And we can look at it and blame the defense, but the defense is roughly the same last year. Uh, through three games, the, the, the defense this year, giving up 5.84 yards per play. USC's defense uh, last year, 5.7. Same thing. Close enough. Yeah. And 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 the big difference though is that this year USC's defense and maybe I'm I, I don't think I'm misremembering this USC's defense has forced a lot of uh, a hell of a lot more turnovers than last year did, did so even though they're giving up those per play yards they're getting the ball back to to, to the offense right but the offense is down uh, last year six point five two this year it's at five point nine eight that is a full half yard per play that USC is not gaining. But I think the important thing is, I don't want to compare USC's numbers on their offense to last year as a whole. I want to compare it to the last six games. Uh, and not because the last six games were easy. SC played Oregon in that stretch. But the, but that was what we saw when we saw the offense come to life. 
That was when we saw the offense at its maximum value, right? Keaton Slovis throwing for 400 yards. You saw um, uh, Michael Pittman become a Bolitnikoff candidate over those last six games. You saw everything come to be of what this offense could be. And in those last six games, SC averaged 6.88 yards per play and the opponents 5.72 for a net of 1.16. That is a full yard per play more than what USC is getting out of the offense than this year. That's not going to cut it. I mean, Not going to cut it at all. And so where is this lack of production coming from? Uh, it's not the accuracy of Keaton Slovis, believe it or not. Last year he was at 71%. Uh, this year uh, SC is at 70.7%. That ain't it. Uh, it's not necessarily the running in general because yards per carrier up three tenths this year. So that ain't it. Uh, it's not overall big plays. Chunk plays are happening at the same frequency. 21.6 of plays are 10 plus yards compared to 21.3% last year. That's all about the same. It, it comes down to two things. Uh, in the explosiveness category. Long plays are down by 50%, and long rushing plays are up, which kind of cancels it out and why you look at the overall long plays are there. Just 3% of pass attempts this year for, for USA have resulted in 30-plus yard gains. Last year in 2019, 5.8%. That's double. That is a huge, huge swing in, in terms of explosiveness. Well, explosiveness in the passing game. Right. Which is... Which is paramount if you're an air raid offense, right? Absolutely. And and I think this is the stat that probably is the best marker of, of what we're seeing from Keaton Slovis that is that is hard to sort of quantify. The, the way that his arm just isn't driving that ball downfield in, uh, accurately. Um the way that he's also not making passes, not, not even attempting passes that we saw him try last year and succeed at last year. Right. There's whether it's a mechanic thing, mechanics thing or a confidence thing. There is something that is preventing Keaton from from ripping off those long pass plays that he obviously was capable of doing last year. And so, you know, I, I think that if you look at the the completion percentage that he's putting up, it's more or less the same, but the quality of those completions, I think, are are is what is dipped. It, where we're seeing that these longer pass plays are are, are not uh, the ones that that USC is completing. There's a lot of you know dump offs to Vimalapai that get a yard or two. Yeah, and you know I don't think this completely tells the story of why drives are failing inside the forty because those long pass plays there's not always room for those, but it certainly makes it harder when uh if you're at the 45 uh or no let's just say you're inside the the 40 right you're you're at the you're exactly at the 40 uh last year sc could have been taking shots to score from there yeah they're not taking shots how many how many uh times did we see michael Pittman or amon ross and brown or any of those guys score the 27 yard yeah pass completion and you're not you're not seeing those now yeah uh to either set up um, a, a touchdown drive that's going to be inside the five or, or set up whatever. Uh, yeah, you saw the long bomb against Arizona uh, with Amon Ross St. Brown, but that's it, right? Zero plays of 50-plus yards in the passing game for USC thus far. SC had seven all of last year. Again, it's a small sample size. It's only three games. 
take a lot of this with a grain of salt, but this is exactly what it is when you look at what's different about Keaton Slovis this year. Is It's the ability to take risks and take more shots downfield. Uh, and so the, the reality is you're seeing fewer plays that are gaining 27, uh, 37 yards, whatever it is, and they're resulting in more 7, 8, 9, 10-yard gains, more passes to Vivai Malapai. Uh, than there would be to Amon Ross St. Brown downfield or whatever. So yeah, but, and, you, th- that's why the efficiency is still there in terms of accuracy. Right. But it's not there in terms of what SE is picking up, which ultimately leads, leads to more plays that they have to run, fewer yards per play, more opportunities to fail. Right, exactly. And, and I mean, the, the I guess the conundrum here is you don't want him to force it because we saw what happens when it, gets forced on an interception. I mean, I, I just keep thinking back to that. Uh, I think it was a third down play that he threw into triple coverage for Drake London over the middle. And like, that was such an ill-advised pass. It wasn't accurate enough. It was, it was a bad decision. All of those kinds of things. Um, those are the plays you don't want him making, even though you do want this offense to have that in, in, in their locker if if you're asking him to force it when he can't do those, then you're pretty much going to create more trouble for yourself. Absolutely. And things would be better if SC had a running game to kind of match that, that passing game uh, and make up for those deficiencies. But here we go. Let's talk about the run game and what that means, uh, the role that it plays. Um, in terms of explosiveness, the, the running game is a little bit better than it was last year. Uh, 2.9% of carries are resulting in 30-yard gains. That's up from 1.5% in 2019. Again, that's double. That's good. It's up 100%. Super good for USC's long running plays, but there's no efficiency. And efficiency and success rate is the last of the five factors, and this is the one where SC continues and continues to struggle on. Um, you know, Bill Connolly's numbers are, are no longer uh, posted as easily as we talked about, um, but there still is numbers to be seen over on Football Outsiders. A lot of Bill Connolly's numbers still are seen there, including things like opportunity rate. We've talked about this one before. Uh, it is the percentage of carries when four yards are available that gain at least four yards, i.e. the percentage of carries in which the offensive line does its job, so to speak. Bill Connolly says, quote, I'm using the op- the opportunity rate for a couple of different purposes. In all, it gives you a pretty good idea of how the line is blocking, and it also gives you an idea of how well a running back is hitting its holes. We've used this for years on the podcast, and it's super important when talking about this team because Clay Helton loves to talk about getting to 170 rushing yards per game um, because he talked about it last week in the in the Sunday Night Conference call that he and Graham Harrell isolated 165, 170. It's kind of like the golden range for what he wants USC's running game to be. Because if you look at the teams that passed the ball at an elite level last year, and he said it was Alabama, LSU, SC, he didn't say Oklahoma by name, but Oklahoma's certainly in that, in that range. Those are basically the four best passing offenses in college football, in the P5. The difference between SC and those other teams was the running game. Uh, and Clay Elton and Graham Harrell are smart to note that. Uh, those teams got at least like 170 yards out of their running backs every week. But Alicia, here's the little problem. Those teams have good offensive lines. 
USC is 99th in opportunity rate at 43.6%, which is down from 50.6% last year. It's down 7%. Fewer runs this year are getting four yards than we're getting four yards last year. And we talked about how USC's running game wasn't efficient last year. Yeah, that's the big problem it's here. It's like 50% wasn't good last year either. No. <laughs> it's worse. No. SC is 99th in opportunity rate. They're 99th in offensive line yards. They're 99th in standard down yards. They're 116th with a 46.2 power success rate, down from 74.6% in 2019. So, first of all, let's not say that SC can't run the ball in power situations. They ran it at a 74.6% clip last year. They're at 46% this year, which is 116th in the country. And that 74.6% was after they utterly failed at the start of the season in all of those things and then eventually sort of figured it out later. But uh, they've basically taken the same step back from last year and and are making the same mistakes now. And then we're going to have to wait until they improve this this number as the season goes on again. and, And here's maybe the most damning number. SC is 110th. In stuff rate. Stuff rate means runs that get zero or fewer yards. Zero or negative. 22.3 of USC's runs this season have resulted in no gain or a loss of yards. So uh, let's let's put this all together. What does this all mean? 56.3% of USC's carries get three or fewer yards. And 22.3% of those overall runs get zero or fewer. So, again, the problem with Clay Helton and Graham Harrell saying that, oh, we ran 170 yards, uh, 173 yards against Arizona, and this is where we want to be for this offense because it proves that we're in a championship level, is baloney. Why? Because last year in opportunity rate, Oklahoma was second in the country. Mm -hmm. Alabama was sixth. LSU was ninth. USC this year is 99th. In standard line yards, Oklahoma was fourth last year. Again, USC this year in 2020, 99th. It's not the yards, Alicia. It's how you get there. Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU, they pair their high-flying passing attack with 170-plus rushing yards as a product of having an elite run game ignited by an elite offensive line that can punch holes for their backs who find the holes. They aren't relying on a 49-yard marquee step run to inflate the totals and balance out a bevy of run stuffs. They, they like, all, like they're legitimately good at the run game that USC is not. So well, their offense stop with this whole 170 yard. Thing? Oh, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And and that's the problem is Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU. They had coherent offenses where the run game and the pass game were playing off of each other. And the elite pass game was helping the elite run game, and the elite run game was helping the elite pass game. It doesn't work just to say we're an elite passing team, and now we're going to also run the ball because we decided over the offseason that we were going to circle 170 yards. No, you don't circle yards on a stat sheet, and then all of a sudden that's what you're, fo- that's what you're focusing on getting. You develop talent on the offensive line. You recruit talent on the offensive line. You put together better blocking schemes, or, or you do what, for instance, Mike Leach would have done at uh, at Washington State over the years, and 
you give up on the run game and 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 as a result defenses ignore it and then you hit them with the run game and your run game is su- successful because now it's a surprise attack like you got to do it one way or the other you can't just sit back and say we are going to to have 170 ru- 70 rushing yards cuz we decided over the offseason that's what we're going to do it's just not the way it works especially when you don't have the offensive line to pull it off yeah and again what is the result of all this uh third down efficiency Way down. And, and this is really the crux of the matter, right? Like, why is USC not scoring and uh, and making the most of their, their scoring opportunities inside the 40? It's because third down efficiency is just completely bottomed out. Uh, the, the Trojans offense uh, is 82nd in the country at 37.8% on third downs. That's down from 20th last year. They were 20th at 45.8%. Zero games of the three so far have have had uh, third down efficiency rates higher than 40%. All of them um, have been sub-40, and only two games last year were sub-40. But but really, at least you, you mentioned, you know, the SC's willingness to run or the, their eagerness to run, uh, and that you kind of need to recognize that if if you if you if you're not an elite running team, don't try to be one just well, because you you highlight those yards. Know your strengths and weaknesses. Right now, why did I, I I mentioned those six games last year, the last six games of the regular season for USC, uh, which was Arizona, um, Colorado, Oregon, uh, Cal, ASU, UCLA. UCLA. Right, those are the six games, and I said that that's what the offense could be. Right. Because that's what the offense looked like. That's when they looked great. They were scoring 40 points a game. Keaton Slovis was throwing 400 yards. You could add the Holiday Bowl in this, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Except I don't because Keaton Slovis got hurt. But before that, SC was spreading Iowa's offense. An an Iowa defense. I mean, Iowa's defense. An Iowa defense that ranks second in SP Plus right now. And they were easily the best defense USC faced that year. Yeah, and they had AJ Epinesa last year. They don't have him this year. And they're even better this year. Um, SC dominated them in the Holiday Bowl while Keaton Slovis was in the game. Mm-hmm. He comes out of the game, they couldn't do anything on offense. Uh, and we obviously know the defense just got murdered by, by Iowa, but that's a whole different side plot. So you look at this, and I, I mentioned those last six games because SC was so good on offense last year, and in third downs, they were 48.8% on third downs in the last six regular season games. If that was their percentage for the entire season, it would rank eighth. Three of the final six regular season games, they had third down rates of over 50%. Again, Mm -hmm. through the first three games this season, they've had zero over 40%. Yep. This all leads me to like four general conclusions I I, I look at with this offense. Uh, One, I I don't think it's simply the defense that's to blame. Yes, defenses are dropping seven and eight defenders into a zone. Um... But I, I think it's important to mention that USC's offense was at its best last year in those final six regular season games, which came after BYU and Washington wrote the book on how to stop them. Mm-hmm. They had found a way to get yards despite all of that. Uh, and secondly, they've gained too many yards. SC has been one of the most productive teams in terms of yardage in the Pac-12 thus far. Um, they've gained too many yards to simply say, that they can't because of defenses against them. I'm not. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I agree. 
So it comes down to two issues. Number one, Keaton Slovis is taking fewer shots, shots downfield. We talked about that. Um, he's statistically as accurate, but he swapped out those 30-yard passing plays for more passes that are 5, 10, and 20 yards, thus lowering the yards per play. Um, but issue number two is the running game is much more boom and bust. They've had more long runs, great, but they're getting stuffed way more times. They are they are not getting the, the four yards that show that the offensive line is doing its job. Uh, they are struggling up front. Um, and I'm not blaming the running backs for this. I think it's the, the running game as a whole. I think it's play design. I think it's the offensive line. Uh, I think it's the backs not finding the hole. It's like a collective, the run game as a entire collective, right? And again, uh, you you all look at, at last year's peaks. What did the, those all coincide with? Those games all coincided with USC not having any running backs available. Oh, when you look at that. Mm-hmm. They all got injured against Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Then the offense got inherently better. Yes, significantly better and more explosive, huh. more capable of putting up yards and, and even points. even against good defenses, right? Even against good defenses, yes. Oh, hmm. Wonder what happened. I don't know. Hmm. Uh... So the crux of the matter is all this leads to failed drives for USC this year. The confluence of shorter passes, more run stuffs, uh, lead to longer third down opportunities or third down failures, leading to drives that fail inside the 40, thus resulting in squandering scoring opportunities. So we've put together an action plan. A very simple one. A very simple one. And we have a drop for it. Ready? Because I choose not to run. That that's the answer. <laughs> well, our 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 action plan is basically you're an air raid offense. Act like it. Now here's the irony of this. We're saying this when we thoroughly acknowledge that part of the problem with USC's offense is not being able to rely on the deep shots downfield. But I would argue that even if you're not taking those deep shots downfield with Keaton Slovis. Getting the five, six, seven yards that you're getting with Vavai in the passing game mm-hmm. is going to be more efficient than wasting him with carries that are getting nothing. Yes. Nothing. That are that are setting your offense back because you've decided you have to run because that's... Because if you get what, 170 yards, you're going to miraculously turn into a championship team. Yeah, Yay! Yeah. No, the, the, the simple fact of the matter is USC doesn't have an offensive line that can be trusted. So don't trust your offensive line. And that means do everything you can to take them out of the game. And that means go full air raid. Now, USC has great running backs that they can rely on, but there are ways to get them involved without handing the ball off to them in, yeah. in, in traditional ways. And it, it's very frustrating because I love USC's running backs. I think they would be great if you put a, a, a good offensive line in front of them, but you... If you've watched USC's offensive line, you know that they're breaking off these big runs because that one time that everyone does their job, it all works. But it only happens once in a blue yeah. moon. Yeah. And then you get the long Keenan Kristen run or the well, long Marquis Step run or the long Stephen Carr run. Yeah, Keenan Kristen, you know, averaged 11 yards per carry against Utah because he had a 47-yard run. Yeah, and then like three or four that all got stuffed in the backfield or right. were those stupid draws. Which is draws. part of the 22.3% of runs that get stuffed. Exactly, and and this is why it was so interesting in the Utah game where we had that big debate in the car cast about the running game and, and about how I thought that Vivai Malapai ran the ball really well. 
Well, the fact of the matter is he did run the ball very well, except for all of those times when he got stuffed because the because there was nothing there or he he got one or two yards on a play where he had to do, you know, dancing around to even get those instead of having it be a negative play because USC's offensive line cannot be relied upon. And so when when you think about it, USC is trying to force something that they are not good at. Now, we can have a whole discussion about why USC isn't good at the uh, at running the ball and whether or not that is acceptable because obviously that you want to be the Oklahoma, you want to be the Alabama, you want to be the LSU that has an elite run game. And the fact that USC doesn't have one is a whole other conversation that goes deeper than just how do you fix this season. But the fact of the matter is, in this season, your offense could be so much better if you played to your strengths, and your strengths is not pounding the football. As much as you want to act like that is what your strength is, it is not. And 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 it goes to show last year, like like you pointed out, last year everyone knew drop back in zone and stop the de- and stop this offense, or at least do your best to try. The difference was when USC stopped having all of those inefficient plays blowing up the 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 flow of their offense because every other run play is potential to get to get absolutely demolished. So you're not working from working behind schedule. You're staying on schedule because you're just passing the ball on every every down. Yeah, it's success rate. Yeah. And I wish we had access to uh seeing the numbers that that we used to be able to see like like success rate because that's what it all comes down to. But there's no way that USC's success rate is good this year. No, not at all. Not at all. Because it's because it's flat out not. Yeah, and and the the hard part of this is again saying that SC needs to just. Bl- you're an air raid team. Well, then be an air raid team. Yeah. Uh, saying that while Keaton Slovis's arm is not all it's 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 cracked up to be compared to last year, at least what we've seen. But you don't uh, we'll, need. We'll, but but like you said, we. we you, you don't need a, a a an Aaron Rodgers to have a good right. offense uh, in in against this opposition or or how many crappy quarterbacks did Texas Tech have? I mean, isn't that the entire word on the air raid system? Quarterbacks they aren't they like aren't quarterbacks a, don't matter and all yeah the yeah so so it it really shouldn't matter that Keaton like Slovis Connor Halliday at Washington yeah. State was better than Keaton Slovis no. yeah yeah I mean that's exactly the point so just just embrace it but again this it, the to, to go with one of the bigger picture kind of things, it's that Clay Hilton has this idea in his head. And, and somebody brought this up on Twitter, and I don't remember who, but like, remember how Keaton, it might have been Kyle Bonagura. It was like, I'm old enough to remember when Clay yeah. Hilton got the job and thought he was going to be Stanford. Right. Like, and he, then everyone realized that Stanford's offense was backwards, and even Stanford realized yeah, that they and weren't going to Sta- do that anymore. Yeah. But like, I think Clay Hilton has this idea of being the old school, and so he has to check these boxes that I, I think are counterproductive to the new school offense that USC is 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 doing. <laughs> Not to quote Star Wars, but I'm going to quote Star Wars. Like it's Kylo Ren looking at people and saying, "Like you got to kill the past." Like, but but you you know the irony here for me is that. I give Graham Harrell um, and and Clay Helton some credit for sticking to their guns about the under under center thing. I'm not saying that I wouldn't go under center. What I'm what I'm saying is they're they're comfortable to say that that's not us. Yeah, they're comfortable enough to have the self awareness to be like, you know what, 
I, I respect the opinion of everyone saying we're, we're under setter, but we're an air raid team. That's not us. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll listen to that. Well, then have use that same self-awareness to stop running the ball inefficiently. Yes. Use that safe, same awareness to stop running inside zone on fourth and on two. Four, yes. Like when when the defense awareness. when the defense is, is yeah. has has ten men in the box. Right. Yeah. I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, SC should become an NRA team. Throw fifty times a, a, a game, uh, and uh, and go undefeated and make the playoff. That's but I mean, more more than anything, USC needs to learn to play to its strengths. Yes. And I don't care what those strengths are. Learn to play to them. If, if if you were a great run team, I would say stop passing the ball, just run the ball down someone's throat. But that's you know that's not what USC is, and it's very frustrating because all ultimately I think USC's running backs would be better served if they were getting carries the way that Vivai Malapea has succeeded in you know the the last drive of the ASU game. Right, Vi was ripping off runs because they weren't expecting him to run. If they had fewer carries. I, they'd be more efficient because yes. they have more yards. Yes, because they wouldn't be running into brick walls every right. time. And, you know, you, you put it all together, and, and what I end up thinking is that, that meme, why are you running? Why are you running? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it, which we need to add that to the to the, to the soundboard. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, that's our midseason diatribe. Uh, really quick, uh, midseason MVP, who, who would you say it is? Uh... Uh, Marlon Tupelo too. Marlon, no, Marlon Tupelo too. Well, on on offense, ABT on defense, Marlon Tupelo too. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, freshman of the year. Uh, was anyone Tule Tupelo too? I guess so. No, Parker Lewis. Parker Lewis, yes. Parker Lewis is a good yes. Yeah, Alexa Wanda, uh, <laughs> spring in there, but she didn't yeah. have an answer. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's talk about the Colorado game, shall we? Uh, really quick, briefly, before we get into it. There might not be football this weekend, but we'll sure act like there is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep keep going. Uh, USC and Colorado potentially locking horns, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on ABC. Uh, this is a biggie. Uh, it is potentially the Pac-12 championship game. The Buffs are 2-0 and under Carl Durrell and his first season as head coach of the Buffs taken over from Mel Tucker. Uh, and he really inherited much of Mel Tucker's coaching staff. Uh, we talked about it in our in our season preview episode. I don't know why. I, I expected Colorado to have lost everybody. Um, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Probably. Well, they lost the quarterback Probably. and they lost their receiver. Well, because we had talked about them last year, that Colorado might have, you know... Five of the fifteen best players in the conference. Maybe not five, but they they've got several the, the, of the best players in the conference. Their two best players on offense and defense were as good as any as good as anybody's yes. two best players right. on offense Correct. and defense. Leviska Schnaltz, very very good. Yeah. Uh, on defense, you had Nate Landman, Mustafa Johnson. Those guys are very 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 good. Right. Yes. Uh, any team would love to have them. Oregon and SC included. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and Stevie Montez was up and down, but you knew that he, when he was up, he was very good. One when of the better down, quarterbacks he, in the Pac-12. Certain, certainly. But yeah. up and down, he was capable, right? 
And I, I don't know why I thought all those guys were leaving, and yet here we are. So many of them are back. Nate Landman, back Mustafa Johnson, back Alex Fontenot, their running back, back. Yet he gets hurt, and he's been replaced by Jarek Broussard, a uh, sophomore running back who's never played a down in college football and through two games has 308 yards. And this is an offense led by Sam Hoyer, a quarterback who last year was a safety for the Buffs. Uh, again, coached by Carl Durrell, a coach who was pretty much left for dead in the college football world. Back in college football, back as a head coach, and a program ultimately that everyone didn't think anything of is here 2-0 with wins over UCLA um, and Stanford. And not that UCLA and Stanford are wins to you know write home about, but when you're Colorado, I think that those are absolutely feathers to put in your cap. I don't. I don't think I would have predicted that Colorado would start their season with wins over UCLA and Stanford. No, certainly, certainly not. Yeah, but they've done it, and they've done it because they have replaced some of the the pieces that they lost with with good players. And I think it all comes down to to Sam Neuer, the the new quarterback, who you know every time I I've watched um, some of Colorado's games here and there. I haven't watched the full games, but I've I've checked in for a few minutes at a time. And every time I look up, see Sam Neuer, he's making plays. He looks like a like a quarterback who knows what he's about, who has confidence, who can uh, he can throw the ball, uh, he can run the ball. He just looks like a playmaker, and that makes him very dangerous, especially up against a USC defense that uh, has had some trouble containing quarterbacks who are mobile, who know what they're about, and don't make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, this game has all the makings of a shootout. Potentially, uh, the the Buffs are 47th in SP plus, but 14th in scoring offense, averaging 41.5 points a game. They're 20th in total offense. Uh, they can run the ball well. They can throw the ball pretty well. Um, I'm really interested to see what they can do against SC, especially coming off of the Utah game in which USC's defense put everything together. Defensively for the Buffs, still not completely there. UCLA put up a whole bunch on them. Uh, Stanford uh, threw for over 300 yards. Um, I, I don't know what to, to buy into Colorado's defense. Um, they are what they are. Uh, 108th in scoring defense, 86th in total defense, 94th in yards per play. Uh, so much of that coming in the passing game, 117th in pass defense. So very similar to what they were doing last year. So... Um, we'll see, but this I mean, will have, like I said, makings of a shootout. It feels like last year is 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 what the blueprint for this game should be because they they do have a quarterback who can who can test USC's defense and they do have a defense that should be gettable by USC except that we just laid out all the reasons why USC's offense is is uh, disappointing at times but still you should be able to have a situation where USC outscores Colorado just on the strength of they're facing the less difficult defense to face. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Vegas has USC favored by 12. Uh, Which is a lot. In, I, I go back and forth about whether it's a lot or not. I think it's a lot, given it's, that SC does not tend to cover. Um, but if SC plays their potential, 12 is n- not a hard thing it, to overcome. It feels like the 10 that USC was favored to- over ASU though where it's like you see it and go okay I know this is at the Coliseum but also have you watched USC? <laughs> right yeah 
Yeah. yeah and, and it's it, this very, to me, very much feels like a game in which SE is going to win this game by 20 points or it's going to be a nail buyer that comes down to the very end. Yeah. It, it's flip a coin. Uh, and it, uh, and it shouldn't be what it will be because and, statistically the, the again like ASU in a lot of ways the computers don't like Colorado they, no, the, a, a the numbers that, are not big on Colorado a lot of that is they've only played two games yeah uh, against not of, great teams right and you look at SP plus a lot of that factors in recruiting SP plus this year is not keen on the Pac-12 in general um, because it's got so much of the preseason input still in there um, and I, I don't know that I put too much stock into it that way. It's only been two games. So I uh, take that for what, uh, it's worth. Um, Alicia, we're going to wrap up the Colorado talk there and go straight in to over under. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right. Uh, we are not going to do the full recap of the Utah over under. Uh, we're going to keep it really simple. Uh, last week, you and I again went three and three. Because USC decided to kick a field goal for no damn reason. Alicia, whose fault was it to make an over-under two and a half points scored by USC in the final 90 seconds? It was so close. I think it was, it was so brilliant. Close. It was a brilliant move for you to put the line there. And I loved it. Loved every minute of it. A beautiful over for me right there. Uh, yeah, you and I went three for three, uh, or three and three, three out of six. Uh, the house went four and two. Uh, the consensus rock bots also went three and three. For the season, you are eight of 19 for a 42.1 win percentage. I am 11 of 19 for a 57.9 win percentage. Uh, who were the best players last year, uh, last week for the rock bots? Uh, several people went four of six. Alex F., Sean from Mid-City-ish, L.A. Fred, Tobias from Denmark, Callie Cat, D-Set, Matt in the Inland Empire, Stu62, and Troy from Pedro. Uh, go Gauchos. Uh, season leaders so far, uh, tied for first with a 73.7% win percentage on over-unders thus far. Ryan from AZ, Sean from Mid-City-ish, and Yoni. They're all tied. At 14 out of 19. Some good guessing right there. That's right. Uh, Yoni was winners in two straight weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, he's still top of the board along with Ryan and Sean. Uh, good job, guys. Keep it up. Uh, let's talk about this week's over under. Alicia, what's your first one for Colorado? All right. We're going back to the, uh, the old standby from last week, which is, First down rushes for the opposing quarterback. I've set the over-under at 4.5. It's a little bit high there, considering we got the under last week with uh, with Utah's quarterbacks, but that's because Neuer had five rushes, gained first down yardage against Stanford. Two of those were touchdowns, by the way. And six rushes gained first down yardage against UCLA, and one of those was a touchdown. So dude can run, and he will run. I'm going to take the over on this. I think that USC's game plan is going to be throw the house at Sam Neuer uh, and put him under pressure. I think that if you're if you're Tyler Orlando, you make him beat you. Uh, make him prove that he's the, the really great quarterback that he looks like he's been through two weeks, uh, which means putting him under duress, which means potentially getting beat out by that pressure on third downs. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he has a bunch of uh, first down runs. 
Um, while SC forces him to try to make tough throws. <laughs> so, uh, That's maybe, an maybe, interesting... Uh, maybe it's but, a risky over. But yeah. hey, this game's not going to be played anyways. We can take this is, risky over. This is true. <laughs> yeah. uh, my first over-under for you, 0.5 Eric Kromenhoek touchdown catches. Tight end touchdowns. He's got a tight end TD in each of the last two games. The Trojans undefeated all time when he catches the touchdown. Over or under, Eric Kromenhoek TDs. Oh, I love this. I love this one so much, even though I hate it because I don't want to have to choose. Uh, but I'm going to go with the under just because defenses may figure out at some point that uh, the, the ball might go to the tight end. So let's go under there. Sorry, EK. Alicia, this game is not happening. You should this have is, taken the over. I should have taken the over but since you the game the is under. not happening. I but. will take that over. Thank you very much. Uh, what's your next one? Well, hey, technically, I, I, I'm I going to win it if the game doesn't get played because there will be no Eric Kromenhoek touchdowns. Okay, that's not how it works. <laughs> All right, my next one is 5.5 Drake London catches. Uh, he had a quiet game against Utah, but last year Colorado was his coming out party of sorts. He had seven catches for 85 yards. Uh, that was a career high before he had eight a few weeks later. Over. Give me the over. I like SC's offense in this game. Uh, which is weird considering I just went on like a 40-minute rant about how <laughs> awful the offense is. Yeah. Um, give me the over. Give, give me the over on Drake London catches. I, I really expect him to be involved here plenty. Uh, I also have a catch one for you. Over under four and a half catches by your guy, by Malapai. He's got four, five, and four passes this year. Uh, he could see the bulk of time again for USC at running back, depending on what happens with Stephen Carr and Marquis Stepp, a big part of the offense in the passing game. Can he get to five catches? Four and a half to the line. Oh, another one that feels targeted. Uh, and another one that I'm just going to disappoint myself by going with the under. I do think Carr and Stepp will end up playing if this game does get played. And I think that could be the uh, the thing that uh, limits his, uh, his passes. All right. Uh, this leads us to the last over-under that you have. What is it? All right. I've got 2.5 turnovers between the two teams. And this is just because turnovers have been such a feature of the season so far. Colorado has gained four turnovers and lost one this season in their two games. USC has gained nine turnovers and lost six in their three games. So between the two teams, will there be three turnovers or more? Give me the over. I think that that's fair. I could see three turnovers in the game for sure. Two yeah. and one. And I don't know who has two, who has one. It's just hard to predict. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it. Uh, my last one uh, leads to what we were talking about before. Over or under nine and a half squandered points inside the 40 yard line for USC. Uh, what are squandered points? Uh, if SC has a drive inside the 40 uh, and they turn it over. Then there are seven squandered points, seven points that they couldn't, that they left on the field, uh, that they could have potentially scored. Uh, if you kick a field goal, that's only four squandered points because you made three. If you get a touchdown, that's zero because you got all seven of the possible points. Will SC squander ten points? Is the question over or under nine and a half? Oh, uh, that feels like a lot of points, but then when you consider that's just a touchdown and a field goal. That's just two drives where USC sort of didn't do its job. So I'm taking the over there, uh, just based on everything that we've learned about this offense. 
All right, that's fair. I think that is uh, a solid prediction. Uh, Vegas, again, has USC by 12. We don't know what the Bill Connolly numbers are, but I would imagine that SC would be favored. The Trojans are 19th in SP+. And Colorado is a very nice 69. Nice. Yeah, what's your game prediction? All right, I'm going 36, uh, 26 USC over Colorado. Uh, I don't feel good about it, but I'm still predicting it. I don't feel good about this game happening. I do not feel good about this game happening either. So, yeah, which means I can go wild and bold and risky and not have to worry about this come back to haunt me. So I think SC, this is the week. <laughs> because we talked about it and, and and said all that crap about USC's offense struggling, this is going to be the week in which the dam bursts. I can see it. SC scores 48 points. They hold Colorado to 31. I can see it. Colorado scores a lot of points. Uh, so does SC. It's a shootout. Big 12 style. Uh, Colorado's defense is giving up a lot of points. This is true. All right, listen, we got a big mailbag, so let's get to it. You've got mail. Let's start with an unsigned email we got from a user with the initials MR. Michael and Alicia, I see y'all are still drooling over anything JT Daniels does while knocking Slovis because he doesn't throw a crisp spiral. Lest we forget the JT-led Chuck and Duck offense of 2018, does Keaton throw a perfect ball? No. Is he blindly heaving it up and hoping for a pass interference call? Hardly. JT got every excuse in the book from y'all in 2018, but guess what? He isn't a Trojan anymore. His legacy at Troy is a 5-7 and seven record and a horrific loss to UCLA. What he does at Georgia has no bearing on the Trojans anymore. Unsigned. Um, I'm confused. Are there a different, is there a different Michael and Alicia out there Can who I just say, rule I, over JT? I 100% agree with one sentence. The last one. What he does at Georgia has no bearing on the Trojans anymore. Right. 100% agree. But I I don't claim to have the best memory, Michael. I forget things a lot. You do. Me too. Did yeah. we did we even mention JT on a podcast recently? Did we I think we talked no. about how he was going to start for Georgia. The, I but was, I don't I I don't think we've been particularly complimentary of, of JT. I, I thought the 2018 season he should have been benched, so I don't know where that comes from. So that's your opinion, uh, not mine. But I, that was I, my opinion, I was yours. always thought that, that he he wasn't put in the best position. No, I thought USC's offense was terrible in 2018, and, and the again, it was playing to your strengths. JT wasn't the quarterback that was going to do the best under those circumstances. I thought that... Uh, Fink or Sears would have done better, but which whatever. I don't agree with. Which I mean, I could have been wrong about too. But like, it just like the whiplash of going from like we're drooling over JT to I'm pretty sure so, earlier this year we got an email from somebody saying that we wrote off uh, JT over like that we picked Keaton over JT and I, like I don't understand. JT didn't get a shot and like, I'm just so confused. All the JT narrative is just weird to me because it's, like it's I I really hate it all. I, I hate the JT Daniels narratives. Um, guy who sent this, um, we, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. Uh, I don't think uh, we're, yes. we're drooling over JT. 
um, and, and not drooling over Keaton's like, no, I think we both think that both quarterbacks are, are good if they're put in a position to succeed. And JT Daniels was not put in a position to succeed in 2018, and we talked about that. Um, and, you know, we made calls for USC firing T. Martin in the middle of 2018 because of the offense. So, n- no, we weren't drooling over JT. Um, and last year, uh, we said it was bold to put Keaton Slovis second, um, but yet it ultimately paid off, and look how good he was at the end of the year. Like, And when JT decided to transfer, I don't think either of us were particularly worried from a from the perspective of a USC starter. I think from a depth perception, we were worried, but... You and I both were assuming that Keaton was going to win the job over him anyways. So because right. he performed so well in this offense under Graham Harrell. So like but, but I think both of us adamant were pretty adamant that if JT won the job, he'd have done just as well as Keaton Slovis could do, especially when you look at what he did in the first quarter and well, first, I, th- first I think quarter he, and a half against Fresno State last I think we year, agreed right? that the that no matter who was behind that offense in 2019, it was a better situation than what 100%. was out there so, in 2018. The, here's here's the the narratives that I, that I do not want to hear. I don't want to hear that we were pro Daniels and anti Keaton because that's BS. I don't want to hear that we were pro, uh, you know, Keaton and anti Daniels because that was BS. Uh, I don't want to hear anybody saying that, you know, JT Daniels throwing for 400 yards against a really bad Mississippi State defense uh, is proof that SC screwed the pooch and screwed him over by letting him transfer and keeping Keaton Slovis. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, And it's not because I don't think JT Daniels, uh, that his performance was good against Mississippi State. He was great. He had an offensive line that blocked for him. He looked good. Uh, and more power to him. Awesome. That's great for him. It has nothing to do with SC anymore. SC was in a position when they had too many good quarterbacks. One got hurt. The other one didn't. Well, the well, the other one did too, but, you know. Not as badly. <laughs> and well, and quite frankly, we'll one tra- one chose to transfer. Yeah, like so, it's... it's why are we... Why are, I mean, yeah. Why are we doing this? It's good good for JT, man. Good for JT. It has nothing to do with Keaton Slovis. Uh and and vice versa. But anyways. Let's go to a voicemail we got from Corey. Since I have integrity and I believe in my team, I'm gonna say this before the game. This is Corey with past <laughs> I I'm gonna see. I really wanna see if the Arizona schools having like, you know, quote unquote hundred plus practices is what gave USC the fit. You know what I'm saying? More like, you know, they were well old machine. Like, they was, you know, they had even more time than normal. To me, so, to me, they could have been hitting, in, hitting on all cylinders. Uh, I wanted to see what Utah do or does as far as not really barely practicing or quote unquote having people to practice. So, obviously, they should be fresh. They should be, uh, less experienced than the Trojans this, uh, season. So, I want to see if that, I want to see it, or if the, Kyle Whittingham or Factor or the Echo Stadium or whatever Factor. I don't, I don't think those play in 2020. But if they lose, I, I will start to inch closer to the, well, it's Clay Elton. You feel me? Like I say, each week he's putting me in that category. So hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully blow them out and I can be like, okay, that's what it was. Then we'll get a better sample size. Then the next week, hopefully they play some games so then we can really understand what's going on. But uh, I wanted to put that out there before the game, you know what I'm saying, and see what happens. Thanks for the call, Corey. At least I want your opinion on this, because 
I think it's interesting to point out that ASU and Arizona did have way more preparation than Utah did. Do you think that played a, a role in how the game played? I, I, I think Utah's preparation certainly played a role in how the game went because they were down players. Um, and their offense certainly, I think, did not look <laughs> particularly good. But do you think that, that plays a role into SC's struggles in Week 2 and Week 1 compared to Week 3? It's so hard to say because, I, I, you know, it probably did play a role in those first two weeks, but we won't know how much of a role because the the fortunes were reversed with Utah. So it's not like USC and Utah came in with the even playing field there. Utah was at a clear disadvantage to USC in, in that regard. So right. I don't know that anything that USC did against Utah is proof of what was uh, uneven against ASU and Arizona. That I, it just there's so much that's that doesn't quite match up to compare in this season. Yeah, and I will say that SC's mistakes that they made in week one and two were still still prevalent in week three and still synonymous synonymous with mistakes they were making last year, too. Right, but at the same time, like in the ASU-USC game, there were fumbles all over the place. Sure. Turnovers all over the place. USC, I think that kind of stuff you can chuck up to week one. And that's and that's you, the, the shoe was on the other foot with Utah where they had five 100%. turnovers in this game. So. You know, I, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go to Scott in Memphis. Hey, uh, Michael, Alicia, uh, Scott from Memphis. And uh, uh just want to give you all a call. I listened to the car cast after the game. And personally, I thought we looked pretty good. Uh, obviously, we left points on the field. And that was frustrating. But I kind of have to say, Kudos for, I know you're going to hate this, but Clay Helton. I mean, he's got got the talent out there. The defense was better. Obviously, that he doesn't run the defense, but uh, the team looked ready. It was cold, and they won. They did what they were supposed to do. It's three and zero. I said last week we're just going to have to sit and wait. I know we're not beating the world up. <laughs> we're not. We're not Alabama, and we should be. With all the resources that we have in Southern California, we should be at that level. But uh, let's wait and see on this one. Um, I know it's frustrating because we either want to just send them down the river or celebrate them as gods, but they are kind of who they are, and they could easily be 7-0 and because Oregon actually looked beatable. Um, they definitely look beatable. So uh, let's kind of see how things go. Uh and take it game by game, which obviously we have to. So hopefully we'll get all six games in. That would be a miracle. If we can get all six games in, would be almost like a victory all in itself. So, all right, guys, fight on. And I'm actually a little optimistic. This is optimistic, Scott. So take care. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for the call, Scott. Uh, optimistic Scott, we'll call you. Yeah, I, I love this call, too, because... I get where Scott is is at, and I think it's a it's probably a healthy place to be at, where you're just taking it week by week and just judging the team free from some of the underlying over overlaying uh, concerns that you might have about the program, and and I think that's kind of where I find myself. I I want to talk about each individual game from the 
individual sort of game perspective and did USC improve? Did they not improve? What was good about the game? What was bad about the game? Instead of having the Clay Helton conversation every week, because I've already made up my mind on that front. I think that a lot of people have already made up their mind on on that front, but you can watch a game without it being an indictment one way or another of the thing that you've already made up your mind on, you know? So the watching it from a pure sort of football, okay, where where can where is USC getting better? What players are are showing improvement? What players are are fun to watch? Those are the the, the ways to to sort of take it. And this is why I've I continue to talk about okay, what does USC need to do to get into the playoff? What does USC need to do to win win the Pac-12 South? What does USC need to do to win the the, the Pac-12 title? Because those are the things that are within USC's grasp. And the bigger question of the head coach or anything like that. I've already made up my mind. It doesn't really matter. Uh, You know, it doesn't have to be the focal point of everything we talk about. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you've reached the point where I was last year. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. (laughs) What what, what changed? I was willing to give, uh, to to see what USC did coming into this year. And I've, I've seen what USC is, and it is what I thought they were. And that is exactly what you know what is it is it it's not good enough right. on a grand scheme but that doesn't mean i can you know you can still watch the games and understanding the limitations of this team follow them understanding their limitations yeah for sure you know what it is it's like watching let's do an f1 uh Let's uh, comparison. do it let's do an f1 you know, comparison. this is really bad i had a horrible night in our league it's like watching Carlos Sainz drive Carlos in F one. Yes. My my boy, Carlos Sainz. Um Orlando Norris or anyone in a McLaren or in a, you know, Alphatari, yeah. you know, Pierre Gasly or those guys. You like them, you root for them. You understand that they're not in contention I'm for the number for, one for for Kivia, I don't know. I'm rooting for Gasly. For sure. Okay. But uh, you understand that they're not in the running to win a race or even podium in any race. Hey, Gasly what a Monza. Now, McLaren can ask themselves, why aren't they? Or like Ferrari, you know, Ferrari can, can has, actually Ferrari is the comparison here. I like Leclerc. I like Vettel. I want to see what they can do. But I also understand they're in a car that isn't good enough on a team that is struggling at this point. Now, for fans of Ferrari can sit back and say, well, this is not acceptable. They need to make changes so that they are competing for podiums. But guess what? That's not where they're at right now. So just watch the race and enjoy what Leclerc is able to get out of that car, even if it's just he got sixth place, because that can be an achievement, too. And I literally told you this last year when you were fuming in that Colorado game. And I'm like, you're really going to sit here and not, you know, take in every moment that Michael Pittman's on this team to make a miraculous. Well, I wasn't saying I wasn't going to take in Michael Pittman, but I was also watching that game knowing that USC winning it was going to delay the uh potential sure change that needs to happen so all right uh, let's get a call we got from lee this is lee from the bay area just noticing in the first half have you guys noticed how malapaya is running it seems to me that it seemed like he lost some weight i don't know if you guys know that because he seemed to be a little quicker Good day. Thanks for the call, Lee. And uh, yeah, I noticed. I thought I ran the ball extremely well in the first half. Um, 
I, I, I think there is there may be something to the slim down. Uh, he, he does uh, look a little bit a little bit more slim, um, but I don't know if it's significant or not. Uh, really, I just think he's hitting the hole really well and, and uh, showing some some speed and some burst when that hole is there. And I think that accounts for uh, the, the, the really positive gains that he that he was having when those opportunities were there. It's just unfortunate that his, you know, his yards per carry average just gets absolutely tanked by all of the sort of stuffed runs that happen. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think I think Mavia is a, is a good running back. I think Marquis Step and Stephen Carr and Keenan Kristen, all of those are good running backs. It's really sad to me that uh, USC is 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 not um, providing them the platform upon which they could really really thrive. But I do think they're they're getting what they can out of this offense. Are they? <laughs> well, um, the running backs are are getting what. Th- the running backs, the running backs are, are, are what doing can. what they can. Yes, for yes. sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, that's that. that's what I mean. The, the running backs are Charlotte Claire. Vivai Malapaya as an yeah, as an individual is Charlotte Claire. He's doing what he can with the car that he's in. Yeah, it, it's not a good Ferrari. But no. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's get a call from Brandon, also on the run game. What's up, Brandon Troy? It's your boy Brandon. I was listening to the car cast. You guys were talking about the run game, and, and Alicia was saying that the issue was more so Keaton Slovis uh, and not so much the run game and was kind of saying because of the offense's makeup, right? The issue is really just, like, everything. <laughs> like, because then you could also say that if the run game is not the issue, when they only run for like 60 yards over like 20 some odd carries, but we know it was like, what was it? 90 total like yard. You could say that, okay, it's Keaton. Keaton is the issue, but then somebody else can say, well, Keaton's bad because the offensive line is a two pack of hot garbage. And then somebody can then say, well, Clay Helton is the head coach of the team, right? So, like, I think on every level at some point with this team, there is an issue. The defense looked better in this last game, right? They looked better. But did they look better because they beat up on a team whose starting quarterback, you know, got hurt. The backup, yes, while he was experienced, did not play well. I mean, He's throwing the ball up for, for anybody to grab at, at, at certain points in that game. So like, you know, I, I just, I, I'm just at this point where I, I can't give silver linings to this team anymore. You know, I can't take these, you know, quote unquote moral victories with this team when they look and they continue to look the way that they look. For me, just the eye test, they didn't look good. I think it's just a USC problem. And it's not necessarily just one thing that's wrong with this team. But yeah, fight on, beat the bus. Thanks for the call, Brandon. Yeah, it's it's a complex issue. I, I don't think, you know, we talked about it in that segment earlier that the running game plays a huge role. But that's only part of it. Um, Keaton Slovis's arm certainly, thro- okay, maybe not his arm, but his willingness to throw the ball downfield, uh, which may or not be tied to his arm or his confidence or... Uh, whatever, uh, USC not having big plays downfield in the passing game plays a role in it. 
play calling on, on key situations plays a role in it. Um, it's a bunch of little things. Um, but when you put them together, some things are worth more than others. I tend to think that the issues on the run game are worth more than others because the passing game, when it when the passing game is struggling, it's still being efficient at a moderate clip. When the running game is struggling, you're getting negative yardage, uh, and you're you're going behind the schedule. So I tend to put more stock in just relying on the passing game, even if it's not a plus right now. But still, I, I think there's there absolutely is a million different issues. Um, and that's the problem is you get, you, where do you start? Where do you start to fix things? Well, that's the, the, the core problems are the, are the worrisome ones. Like that's the thing I, I can point out how Keaton is not at his best right now. And that's holding back the offense to, to, to a certain extent, but that's also sort of setting up the, the Sam Darnold conundrum where like, you know, if you're expecting Sam to magic his way out of, miss problems all the time even when he's not playing super well then you're just going to become dependent on those magic moments instead of a foundation that will set you up for success regardless of of what the quarterback is doing um so you know for me it's the offensive line but the offensive line is a is a root of of a lot of other things too so yeah i i I hear you brandon and i hear you michael it's it's a thousand different things and that is ultimately the problem yeah, which is why they should start by not running the ball so much. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's go to email we got from Aaron. Uh, Parker Lewis might win a Groza someday. The guy has a boot and a half. Aaron from Staten Island, New York. It's freaking late here, he says. When Parker Lewis kicks the ball, he he really just goes for it. I mean... Parker, are you up yet, honey? Yeah, his leg's up. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think it would be awesome if if he became a Groza Award winner. He needs to kick reliably. He needs to kick from range. He needs to have his kickoff stay in bounds like they did in Utah. So he's getting there. He's a freshman. Let's see what he does. You know what's weird? I cannot imagine SC ever having a Groza Award. That's winner. that's the bigger. Like, I can't <laughs> picture it because it's never happened before. Yeah. SC is not known for having a string of good kickers. Um, you know, there was Steve Jordan, there's Quinn Rodriguez, uh, Ryan Colleen, Andre Hadari. Uh, there's been good ones. Yeah. But have there been ones that have been, you know, uh, all-American type kickers? No. I feel like that's an ASU thing. Yeah, ASU said good Or a kickers. UCLA thing. Yeah, UCLA and Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Not SC. Definitely not a C, and it, it's good to see it from Parker Lewis. And I, it sucks for for Chase McGrath that if Chase McGrath is getting Wally pipped. Yeah. Um, uh, the the whole kicking situation the last few years has has changed so quickly. Matt Bormeister, Rose Bowl hero to zero, really quick. Uh, Chase McGrath, Michael beloved. Brown, Chase McGrath, and then Parker Lewis. Here comes Parker Lewis. Yep. Uh, we got a text from Jonathan uh, in the middle of the game. It's also Yoni who dominates um, uh, over-under. Uh, love the way the defense played. Hey, you guys said this Utah team is always prepared, right? I guess this time we were more prepared. Impressive win, even when the offense isn't firing all cylinders. 3-0, and and we're on to Cincinnati. Inside Bill Belichick joke. 3-0 and on to Colorado. Yeah. You could sure. also say. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing is we said that uh, we, we were siding with Utah on this game because Utah is still a Kyle Whittingham coach team, and uh, in any time you get a win over them in Salt Lake City, you have to give the credit where the credit is due, for sure. 100%. You've got mail. Uh, let's go to an email from Ryan and AZ, who is tied with Yoni uh, atop the uh, over-under. Uh, hey, Michael and Alicia, thanks for everything that you do. Even with how frustrating a game day can be, it is good to at least have the opportunity to be frustrated. My real concern is the health of Slovis, since once again his arm strength is non-existent. I was wondering what his average depth of target is through three games, but the offense at this point is dink and dunk with all these athletes at wide receiver. It doesn't make any sense. If we can't crack the 40-point mark with a plus-three turnover advantage and a team at 80% capacity with new faces, I am very concerned, not to mention the fact that Washington put 44 on a bad Arizona team that we struggled against. Love to hear your thoughts, and thanks again for everything that you do. Ryan from AZ. Thanks, Ryan, for the email. And, and yeah, that's... That's precisely why I think that uh, the concern is there, even though USC is is three and zero. They should have beaten Arizona the way that the Washington beat them. Um, they should be able to uh, get more out of the athletes that they have at wide receiver. And uh, you know, Slovis's arm has definitely become a narrative. Uh, it's just that you know. <laughs> What can you do at a certain point? Like if if Slovis's arm is still feeling the impacts of of the injuries from last year, then all you can do is is sort of try to mitigate that by changing the way that you attack a defense. But I I don't know. I I'd, at this point, like either USC is going to acknowledge there's something there or they're not, and it's just going to continue to be a thing. Right. Yeah. For sure. And. You'd like to see that, you know, that game against Utah was what the doctor ordered for an SC team that can't finish off drives because they got spotted to arrive at the four-yard line. Mm -hmm. They did cash in on that one. But a million opportunities to prove that they had turned the corner uh, against a team that was very sluggish at best, uh, Utah was. So, yeah, SC's got to find a way at, at some point to address those things. But, again, how many times can we keep saying it? Um, and Just finish your drives yeah. and we won't be having so many of these conversations. Right. I don't think we're going to be holding our breath anytime soon with that. Uh, we got a bunch of Slack messages from L.A. Fred about Thanksgiving. With Thanksgiving coming, what is the Castillo and De Artola family traditional dinners? Uh, the De Artola family traditionally would gather at my aunt's house uh, at, the, at their ranch and uh, have a big turkey dinner with... Uh, tri-tip or prime rib or whatever other meat that my uncle got his hands on. Uh, we'd have, uh, you know, cousins and family and all that kind of stuff with a thousand different sides, um, green bean casserole, stuffing, uh, mac and cheese, uh, cranberry salad, uh, rolls, yams, mashed potatoes and gravy, uh, deviled eggs, literally everything you can think of, uh, sweet potatoes, all everything you can think of, and just pile it all up and eat it all, and then top it off with uh, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, and, and apple pie for or pumpkin other desserts 
for desserts. That's a big, big, big feast in the Daratola household. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be as big of a big, big feast this year. <laughs> We're scaling down considerably just to immediate family, which is a bummer. But, uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, um, definitely a bummer, but uh, better safe than sorry, for sure, uh, amid a global pandemic. Um, my family's history with Thanksgiving was, uh, we, as a little kid, we used to toggle between going to my dad's side and my mom's side every other year. Uh, and then my mom uh, said, nope, we're putting my foot down and we're going to only go to my side of the family. Um, and that was because... My uh, great uncles uh, were getting up there in age. She wanted to make sure that she saw them every year. That was her only opportunity on on Thanksgiving. Um, Unfortunately, uh, my last of my great uncles passed away last year. Uh, And so I don't know what the future of of Thanksgiving is going forward. But it was always a situation that it was was good to see the the family that was there, for sure, 100%. Um, But it was not... My favorite holiday for a reason. Um, it's a bunch of food that I don't care for. Uh, and there was no football. Never football on TV at all. Um, there was not a lot of people my age all the time. And yeah, for uh, like a 12-year-old, that's that's not always the most fun thing. Mm. Yeah, I get it. So, So this is really what my... Uh, hate for Thanksgiving comes from is that everyone talks about like it's this amazing thing and football is so prevalent. Like I never watch football on Thanksgiving ever. Like that's not what what Thanksgiving was as a kid. So I don't think of of it as a football holiday in the slightest. Oh no, there's always football on. And and in terms of food, we're talking like a plate with. Uh, well, I'll 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 talk about my plate in a minute because we got a question about my plates. Gotcha. So I'll hold that part, but um. Uh, L.A. Fred says, better turkey cooked in an oven or deep fried. Dude, you're forgetting the best part. Smoked. Smoked turkey. That's the answer. I am partial to the turkeys cooked in the oven by my mother because my mother brines her turkey and thus ensures that it is not dry. And my biggest pet peeve about Thanksgiving is when you get a dry turkey and I've had dried turkey that have come out of deep fryers. I've had dry turkey that have come out of smokers. The way my mother does it is perfect. At least I can assure you there's still dry turkeys out of ovens, too. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sure. But cooked in the oven by my mother. <laughs> Fried turkey out of a smoker, barbecue style. Texas barbecue style. Mm. Good. Fried turkey at Hutchins. So good. I, I mean, I sorry, smoked turkey. I don't think I've. Uh, so good. I I, I, don't, I cannot recall having this. Okay, now Hutchins. Hutchins has the uh, the all you can eat barbecue. Do not get the turkey, by the way. I was gonna say, it, like when you go to Hutchins, just get the brisket and is, don't bother with anything it's else. It's a waste because when you get the the all you can eat, you get three meats, and it is a waste of a meat. And it's not because it's bad; it's, it's because filler, their turkey is amazing. I love it. It's but it's incredible. not the brisket. It's the best turkey I've ever had in my life. But it's not brisket. It's not pulled pork. Yeah, I'm not a sausage guy, so mm. I'll take pulled pork. Um. Anyways, uh, LA friends. Next question: Best Thanksgiving dessert. The answer answer is clearly apple pie. Uh, for me, pecan pie. Love it. Yeah, pumpkin pie is okay. Pumpkin pie and uh, 
and uh, candy corn are the same to me. Okay, what? in moderation. Hmm. Fine. It's not all it's it's cracked up to be, and it's not all like it, it's not amazing and it's not terrible. It's okay. It's good if you have just the right amount. Too much of it can be a little much. The first bite of pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, though, is really an experience. It's always lovely. Also, they can be over seasoned too. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. Some, it's some be have a, good, a little bit too much nutmeg. Or there's, something there's got to be Ginger. good. The, the pumpkin has to be well, co- well seasoned, well cooked, and then the the pie crust has to be good too. And that's the worst thing about pie is that so often the pie crust is not good. Lattice top apple pie, by the way. Mm. Mm, that's what I like. Uh, let's go to our last message we got from uh, SA Santa Barbara. What are your tips for keeping different foods from touching each other on your plates while attending a holiday feast? Do you bring your own plates? You know, the kind with partitions, or do you just take less food so you can maintain a proper spacing, knowing you have to take multiple trips to the food line? Just asking for a friend. Thank you, SA, for this question. So I've always wanted to answer on the spot. Uh, here's the key. So since Thanksgiving food sucks anyways, uh, you don't really have to worry about taking too much food. Um, and so what you do is on one side of your plate, you stack a few slices of turkey. Uh, you basically make thirds. On the other side, you put uh, a roll or two. Two ideally. It all depends on how many people are around, how many rolls are out. You want two rolls, but sometimes you can only take one. If you take two, it might be a little bit of a of a dick move. You, you got you to balance the situation, read the room, see what it's like. Um, and then in the other spot, that's where you put like three slices of good, luscious, amazing, beautiful cranberry sauce. You know, the one that I never know what it's called, but the one out of... Like that ocean spray makes that it's out of the can and you just slice it. It looks like the can. Mm, love it. Or you can do it like a, a, a normal person and strategically design your plate to have complementary foods sitting next to each other. Because, no. yes, they will all intermix and mingle. Food should not And that touch. is good. No. Mm-hmm. No. You just got to be careful about You just need to, you know, the turkey is best sitting next to the mashed potatoes. Uh, or the green bean casserole. Both of those are just gross. I, I, I tend to have next to the mashed potatoes on the other side, I tend to put like the cranberry salad or something like that. Gag um, me. No. In the middle of the plate, I like to have my cranberry sauce because then I want it to, to sort no, of touch no. and mingle with everything. Cranberry sauce cannot touch anything be- with the exception of the turkey. And then uh, you just sort of fill it all up with, you know, your... Uh, your yams and your green bean casserole and all that kind of stuff. And then once you have a fully loaded plate that is just covered the whole way, then you grab your roll or two, I agree with you, and you stick those literally right on top. No! You're going to put them on top of your mashed potatoes? Yes. Then they're going to get some potato junk on it. Yeah, I like... That's fine. That's good. Here's, here's Here's the way I do a roll, though. The first, this, this is why two rolls is ideal. The first roll is the roll that you eat with the butter. The second roll is the roll that you make a little turkey sandwich out of. No, ideally, you get two rolls, you grab a third, and the third is the one you eat on the walk back to the table. Well, that that's good too. But I do like a roll that I cut in half and I stick 
slice of turkey, some mashed potatoes, some gravy, some green bean casserole, some cranberry sauce, smash it all together with the roll and have a little sandwich. It's good. I don't know. Yep. Thanksgiving sucks. Uh, That is not an official stance. It is. Of the Random Short Podcast. Trash holiday. It's the best. I hope you guys all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, even though Michael is, you know, degrading the holiday. I I appreciate it, and I hope that hey, all of you... I don't like Black Friday either. Well, no one really likes Cy- Black Cyber Friday. Cyber Monday, significantly better than Black Friday. <laughs> I hope you all have a good Black Friday that isn't actually Black Friday this year because everyone's not doing it. Yeah. Stay home uh, in cyber. Yeah, stay home in cyber. I uh, hope you all have a very safe and wonderful Thanksgiving in whatever form it takes. And uh, everyone should know that uh, we are very thankful for our listeners and uh, and and all of you who, who listen, everyone on Patreon who supports the show that way. And uh, yeah, it's it's something to be thankful for. You sound a little run down at the moment. It is. You want to tell the people why? It is one thirty in the morning. And it is about three hours past my bedtime. And uh, the coffee that I chugged before we started recording has worn off. And that's where we're at. You made it. I did. You, you didn't it. think I was going to be. No, I'm proud of you. You didn't think I was going to be able to do Genuinely it. Genuinely, I'm proud of you. It's amazing what a cup of coffee will do. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. It's all mind games. Yeah, sure. It's a placebo. Hey, 23 and me told me that i am more likely to drink coffee uh than not yeah it's fake science no it's true it's no. genetics no uh what is real science is uh wear a mask be safe uh this holiday week uh we're thank you for listening as always we are forever thankful uh for you being a rot bot and getting us here this far if you made it two hours into this episode whew, what what should people do they should send tell us uh no, they should uh well, I guess we're gonna have this up on Wednesday, so it's not fair. Uh they should tell us what their favorite Thanksgiving um dish is and whether or not they pack their plate full of uh of Thanksgiving stuff and have it all touch and intermingle. No 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 no, no. I, I got it. What's your favorite Thanksgiving combo? Okay, here's here's my um here's my question. Answer me this. What is your strategy for buttering your bread at Thanksgiving? It depends on if the bread is warm this out of the, the oven or if the, it's just been box. sort of sitting out, though. Yeah. I like to put the the butter on the knife, mm-hmm. and then I get said roll, and I wipe the butter off the knife with the roll. Yeah, that's that's a good way to do it. But if it's if it's a roll that isn't warm, then I will take the butter and smear it a, along the end of my plate to give the butter a chance to become a little bit more pliable for when I'm going to eat the roll. End of your plate? Like on the side of my plate. So I'm not going to, I'm going to grab a pat of the butter and then just sort of like smear it across the plate. So that it's there for when I want it later when it's not so cold. Huh. That's if the roll isn't warm. If the roll is warm. How do you feel about rolls that are with, with, with uh, that are crunchy? I prefer them soft. Yeah, but... me too. I'm not a crunchy roll guy. Yeah. 
like uh, like uh, French bread or baguettes or whatever that has a crunchy out exterior. Not not. I mean, it's great. It's great, but uh, diminishing returns. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Alicia is looking at me with the. Can you hurry up and just end this? I mean, thing? it was it, it was face. it was it was it was far too late. Like five minutes ago when we started the conversation, that was not that was off topic. So no, we're gonna take this as long and see yeah. uh, what time do you fall asleep on air. I mean, it's gonna happen very soon. How close soon. are we to to, get, to hear your snore? It's very very close to a snore. Alright, let's see. Let's see it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. We are very close to me leaving and just going straight to sleep. Alright, we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.